This morning we'll be in Proverbs 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Proverbs 13. While you're turning there, I just wanted to thank everybody for filling in and uh, stepping up to allow me to get away this week uh, at the International uh, Pastors Conference out in California. It was a wonderful time. I've uploaded sort of uh, most of the teachings to the Facebook page, our Facebook page, and uh, I'd made it as easy as possible for you to find and to watch at your convenience. So if you go to Calvary Chapel Maryville's Facebook page, you can just kind of scroll down our feed obviously pushes those teachings down towards the bottom. You have to scroll down a little bit and pick who you want. They're clearly labeled. Um, If you want to just set aside 45 minutes to an hour, distraction-free, open your Bible and just listen and watch these guys teach. Some of the best teachings I've ever heard in, uh, well, 22 years of ministry here at Calvary. Um, Just wonderful, wonderful uh, men of God just sharing their hearts and uh, some scripture. And the, the theme of the conference was encounters with God, which is it's got to be the, one of the greatest um, uh, subject, or, uh, themes that they've chosen because they, they literally let the teachers pick a person that had an encounter with God through Scripture and then teach on that person. And the continuity was so good. It just all blended together. And there were some similarities and some differences. Um, just a wonderful teaching, a wonderful time. So um, I learned something new uh, at every single teaching, which doesn't always happen, you know, I do this, you know, and so you're listening to the guys like, yep, I know exactly where he's going. Yep, I taught that. I've done that five times. And this time it was different. I learned something new at every single teaching. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have the time or the inclination, check those teachings out and you will be blessed for sure. Let's pray and we'll get started this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time we get to have in your word as we uh, learn some more about just the wisdom it is to follow you to hear your instruction, to read your word and to obey it, and to, and to trust that it's going to turn out the way you want it to. Even if the, our sight uh, tells us otherwise, our faith tells us to, to listen to your word and to follow it. And, and, and when we do, God, your, your word here in chapter 13 tells us it's the wise way. It's the, it's the way of blessing. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 13 speaks of our mouth, our words, but also speaks of different roads, the two different roads, following the Lord and not following the Lord, and the difference in the outcome of those things. Um, In verse 1, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. It's important that our kids hear us. Um, Every parent wants them to, but I think... For me, I I've, I've give out wisdom to my kids. I think I have in the, for, for as long as I've been a parent. Some of it is worldly wisdom to get by, you know, checkbooks, um, finances, things like that, how to do some things with a car, anything that I knew anyway. I didn't know a whole lot about cars. But, and then there were spiritual things. And um, they could probably take or leave some of the worldly stuff that I shared with them, but the spiritual stuff, I could see that they tuned in. And I think you can see in the, in, in the evidence that they leave behind themselves in their lives that they did listen to Jenny and I, and they have developed their own faith, their own walk with Jesus. And, and you can see the wake of blessing uh, behind them as they travel through life. It's a wonderful thing. And so when, it's, when he speaks of these, uh, a wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. As a parent, I read that, I'm like, yeah, did you hear that, kid? 
But as a parent, I also need to understand how I impart that wisdom and what wisdom I'm imparting makes a difference as to whether they can receive it or not. There's a responsibility on my part to not just instruct them with the letter of the law or with the letter of Scripture. Memorize this. Make sure you can write that down, you know, and make sure you don't forget any punctuation or word. But do they understand the heart of the author behind it and the connection that it has to all the other passages we're going to share with them? The continuity of the mind of God throughout God's word. Are my kids getting that so that they, they know the author, not just the words of the author? You see, I think that's important. They have book signings all the time, don't they? Different. Well, there still are Barnes and Nobles and things out there, Borders. and Well, Borders went under, didn't they? they it's hard to find a bookstore anymore. But they do have you know, signings where you can go. And that's exciting to meet the author of your favorite book. You know, as as temporary as those books are, and you you probably don't reread those books too often. Once you've read the book, it goes on the shelf, and that's why hardcovers are so hard to buy or wanting to buy because I'm going to read it once and that's it. Why would I do that? You know, why would I spend the money for the extra? But when you meet the author, it's different. You know, you see the person behind it, and of course, that's the goal of every Christian parent is to teach their kids the Word of God, but also to have them know the author. And, and to be able to know they can have a conversation with them anytime they want. So that's a lot for verse 1, but um, a wise son does heed his father's instruction, but the father's instruction needs to be godly, needs to uh, be God's wisdom, not just my wisdom, you know. Uh, JD's wisdom, they can forget. I don't have a problem with that. God's wisdom, they really need to follow. And I want to make sure that the things that come out of my mouth are consistent with God's wisdom. Verse 2, a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. A couple times in Scripture it says that with many words, transgression is unavoidable. The more things I say, the more opportunities I've given myself to, well, step on my own tongue, basically, or stick my foot in my mouth. Those those. Uh, idioms are, are, are there for a reason. We do it often. Um, I've learned that if I can, uh, I'm learning. I shouldn't say I've learned. I'm, I'm learning that if I can hold my tongue for a little bit and think it through, pray it through before I open my mouth, I do much better. I do much better. There is just that restraint, you know. I saw a show recently where um, it was a, a veteran's in, uh, last day in the hospital from recovering from his wounds and his injuries that he was from, the, from war. And uh, it was the last Percocet that he was going to take. It was his last painkiller. And the nurse told him, here, take this, but would you wait 30 seconds before you put it in your mouth? And he thought, well, why is that? He goes, she said, just, just so that you know you can wait that you're not so dependent upon that Percocet that you want to throw it in your mouth and you become an addict. If you can hold off 30 seconds and not throw that in your mouth, you have control over it. It doesn't have control over you. With our mouth, it's no different. I think it's so important to have control of that tongue, you know, um, to just pause a little bit and to think. We, we'd eat well of our, the fruit of our mouth. When, when I... Uh, uh, when I'm blessing my family with my mouth or with uh, you people or when I'm ministering to you, when I'm, when I'm giving you, speaking life into your life, you know, when you're, when you're speaking the things of God to people, I, I do better. 
you know, my heart is uplifted as well as yours, hopefully, you know, or as well as anybody that I'm speaking to. And that's what he's sharing there. But when my mouth is cutting and harsh and my words are sharp, um, it hurts me too. It, you, you know what that's like. You feel that, um, that edginess inside of you. It's a darkness almost. No other way to describe it really. Um, when, you, when you begin to speak of someone behind their back or uh, tear them down or whatever, belittle them, you can feel that in your heart, you know. And that's what he's saying. You, you'll do better. You'll do better if you don't criticize so much, if you're not always in that position of bringing other people down and speaking, you know, the things of God, speaking to them, psalms, hymn, and spiritual songs, he says. You do better. You feed off of that. He's made us that way. Anyway, guard our mouths. Be careful. Be careful with our mouths. Pause before we speak. Verse 4. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. One of my favorite verses. There's another one that's coming up here uh, that says a lazy man will bring his hand to the bowl, but so lazy that he can't bring it back to his mouth. And I thought, what a great picture, you know. You know, just going, I want those M&Ms. It's just a long way back to my mouth, though. You know, I just love that. And uh, now I have days like that. (laughs) There are lazy days. It's like, yeah, I could do that. It would be really smart to get that done while it's sunny and warm and I've got the time. I really don't want to. You know, I got back from the conference. And I I didn't do anything on Friday but travel, you know. Traveling just, it's funny. You get home and it's like you've run a marathon. You know, all I did was drive. You know, I drove in L.A., so that was a little bit of a, my wrists really sore and clenchy and white knuckled the whole way there. You know, um, but you know, you drive from the you start at 9 a.m. and you drive to LAX and you drop off your rental car and you make your way over to the shuttle and you drive. It, it, it it's not a big deal, but when you get home, you're like, oh my goodness, what in the world? So Saturday, I woke up and I'm like, well, I deserve a day off today. I traveled all day. What? You didn't do anything. You just sat around on your rear end on a on a car, on a on a on a on a tram and, and on a plane and in a car on the way home. You didn't do anything. I know, but I deserve it, you know, kind of thing. Well, there's some things you can accomplish and do. And we have to guard ourselves. You kinda of have to make yourself move forward. Just get up and go on those lazy now there's nothing wrong with taking a break, but we don't want to make it a habit. You don't want to be that guy or that gal, you know, that's so lazy. Um, And he warns us of that. You you want all these things, but are you doing anything towards that, you know? Um, Well, I'm just praying. I'm just waiting for the Lord to give me the desires of my heart. We throw in Scripture sometimes to justify our laziness. And, you know, it would be good of us to go back to Genesis 3 and remember what the curse was, you know? The the world's going to produce thorns for you. And you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow to produce anything in this world. There's work that you have to do, you know? There's some effort, Adam, now. Adam, you used to walk around naked and just pick stuff off trees until you picked from the wrong tree, you know? Um, now you're going to have to put on a loincloth and get a hoe. You know, it's a little, little different now. We're going to keep your hands busy so you're not picking fruit you're not supposed to be picking. So it's good for us. It's good for us to work. A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Do you hate lying, you know? Do you hate it or do you use it, you know, sparingly because I'm a Christian, it's still using it. Well, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. You're still using it. 
You want to be the person that hates to lie. I want to develop that in my own spirit and in my own heart. I want to hate my lying lips. And so we should all. That's the idea. Um, a righteous man hates it. And I want to be that righteous man. A righteous, the righteousness guards him who is, uh, whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. It is a protection to walk the narrow path, to walk the righteous path. You guard yourself from a lot of problems in this world. Walking an unrighteous way or in a wicked way is work. And he's going to move into that here in this section of Scripture. It's hard to be wicked. You're always hiding. We make jokes about that. If, you, if that criminal had spent half as much energy just working, they'd have made twice as much money as what they stole. That's a lot of work to run into those stores and grab and then bang your elbows and head on the way out as you're stealing the... We see that in California, you know, all these videos we're seeing from... And all of us Midwest folks are looking at these, you know, group thefts that are taking place. We're like, that just wouldn't fly around here, I'm pretty sure. It'd be 27 cowboys or you know, farmers on top of these guys by the time they hit the door. How do they, how do they get by with that? Um, it's a lot of work. And then you're running away. I saw one just recently where they, they, Home Depot, I saw them loading up this giant lawn tractor into the back of the truck. And of course, they couldn't lift it. It's too heavy. I don't know if they've never lifted one before or not. And they, they broke the fairing off the front. The plastic fell off and, and their tailgate dropped and, and they scratched up their car and someone kicked the side of their car on the way out. I'm like, you incurred about $3,000 worth of damage to your truck. And you got a $1,500 mower. You probably could have gone a different route today, you know, kind of thing. There's a, there is a righteous way to walk, and it is blessed, and it is fruitful. God promises us that. That's a promise from God. You walk and you work in righteousness. I'm going to promise you fruit. That's how you produce fruit. That's how my earth works. My earth, my creation works. When you do this, it produces fruit for you. It's an amazing thing. It's a, it's a, it's a law that God places in our, in, our, in our creation. It's a blessing. Um, there is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. Um, this has to do with his blessed to, more blessed to give than it is to receive, is the idea. And there are generous people that, to their own detriment sometimes, uh, will find themselves without. I remember a brother that used to come here years ago. Some of you older guys that have been here a while would remember less, if you remember less. And that guy was the most, one of the most generous people. Um, you know, he had, we've all got our problems, and, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about his generosity. And uh, I remember him saying, he goes, I don't have anything left. He was retired. He'd given everything away, and he's going to try to figure out how he's going to survive the rest of his life because he had given it all away. I'm not telling you to do that today at all, and I don't think he would either. I think he's maybe second-guessing a little bit. like, And yet it still speaks in 2023 at Calvary Chapel. We're mentioning that because he impacted so many people, never considering the fact that he might not have enough. You know, He might not have enough at the end of his life. It, all that mattered to him was the person that was in front of him. And then he figured out, oh, wait, and now he's going to have to walk by faith for sure. But I guarantee you, he's, he's still being taken care of by the Lord. Um, God promises us that. And so that's what he's saying there. Someone who makes himself rich and has nothing, man, they have no testimony. They have no heritage. 
They've got a good bank account, but there's no heritage. There's no lives that have been touched by them, really. It's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. These are promises. The the writer here is simply saying, these are the things I've witnessed. I've seen the wicked man walk, and I've seen them just kind of extinguish their light. As Christians, we're to be lights of the world. We're to be the salt of the world. We know that, but also light. And a city set on a hill can't be hidden. But my wickedness extinguishes that light, or at least dims it. It makes it hard for people to want to come to find out what it is that causes me to have that light. You know, what is it about you? What, what is this joy that you have? What is this salvation? I want to hear about this. You're so, you're so much joy in your life. I want to hear about this. We can tell them about Jesus. But when wickedness gets mixed into that, well, it, it's harder for people to come. It's not, it doesn't stop it altogether. There's repentance. We have to give ourselves grace and rebuild that walk that we have. And the testimony that we had, and yet he warns us here, and he warns everybody here, that um, it can be detrimental to your lamp. Uh, It can be put out completely if you don't repent. It's important. Verse 10, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Now, pride's a funny thing. Um, and I don't know if I've thought this through all the way yet, but I'll be very careful. Oftentimes, my pride makes me work awfully hard to let everybody else know how great I am. It just does. It's a lot of work to let you know how awesome I am. You know, I keep having to tell you people because you forget how great I am. You know, and and pride is it's a it's a struggle. It's 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 work. And when he says that, um, it's nothing but strife because other people are saying, "Well, you're not that great." I'm greater than you. And that's their pride coming up. And so our pride's butting heads all the time. It's like, okay, I got to one-up you now kind of thing. It gets hard. It just brings strife into your life. Humility, oh, it's such a blessing in your life. We think it diminishes our prospects or our future when we're humble. If we let other people think that they're better than us or that they have more rights than us or whatever it is, we begin to think, well, uh, that's going to put me behind the eight ball here. No, it doesn't. No, it's just it's a beautiful, simple, grace-filled, merciful-filled life. It's a wonderful way to live, and yet humility. Jesus is humble. I mean, we have a humble God that we serve. I'm more humble than any of us could ever attempt to be humble. We, we don't think of him that way. We think of him majestic and sitting on a throne and white hair and the, the, the train of his robe builds the temple and he owns everything and runs everything and made everything. We get that. But he's also the most humble being that there ever was and is. And he wants us to be like that. Humility is the way of Christ. I mean, that's, that's it. Um, he, he led by example by washing all the disciples' feet at the time, and, and many other times as well he led by example. Um, that humility is just a, it's a beautiful life. Um, and, with well advi- and with the well-advised is wisdom. So you've been well-advised. Be humble. Wealthy gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. 
I don't know that I've experienced too much of that. I suppose there's been some times when I've gained when I shouldn't have, or I took advantage of a situation, you know. Um, hmm. I'm, I'm not that perfect. I'm just trying to think of a time when I've stolen other, somebody else's stuff, you know, kind of thing is the idea. Because that's what he's truly speaking to. Your dishonesty, um, and although you might have had an immediate gain from that dishonesty, I guess we could go back to the lawnmower theft or whatever, or any of the other thefts we watch. It's just going to be hard on you. Uh, usually, less now than you know, 20 years ago, but usually there's a before and after picture of those robberies, you know. There's the guy getting away on the cam, and for the first 24 hours, he was excited. I stole the whole ATM. This is great. Nothing but cash. Until they tracked it with GPS and pulled up and took his cash and took him to jail, and there's a, it, it, it didn't last long. You know, what'd you get, a Slim Jim and a Slurpee before, you know, and then they cut, then they took all your money. You didn't really get to spend it all. Um, it just doesn't last, that dishonesty. He, he promises us here in verse 11 that your labor is going to increase what you have or what you need. It is. The harder you work and um, the more you're devoted to that idea, not because your employer demands it, although they do, but because God says that's how it works in my, in my, in my creation. Uh, when we trust that and do that, even if the employer doesn't maybe compensate like you think they should, we get a lot of that, I'm sure. Um, wages aren't keeping up with the cost and all, and that always lags behind, always has lagged behind quite a bit um, with inflation. Um, I don't have to worry about that side of things, the worldly side of things, because God says that this is what I want you to do, and you have to trust me that whatever isn't happening in the world to reciprocate or give back to you what you feel like you're devoting, I'll make up the difference in other ways. I make sure it lasts and stretches and, and uh, or more comes in different avenues. I promise you that, he says. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. It is. <laughs> um, I've used this verse probably not always accurately, uh, there's been things that have been on my heart that I've wanted for a long time. And, it, and I say, it makes my heart sick because I haven't been given these things. Even as I say it out loud, I'm like, that's not, probably not the right way to use that. You know, Because you could want a lot of things that God doesn't want for you. So I think we have to be careful about how we use Scripture. Um, it's not meant for us to just take 12 out, you know, burn it on a piece of wood as a plaque and set it up in our house and say, there it is, the motto of my life, you know, kind of thing. The entirety of Scripture balanced out would help us understand verse 12. Um, I want to go to heaven. That's probably a better use of this. And it makes my heart sick waiting for it. I, I can't wait to get there. Paul struggled with this. You know, I think we all do that are believers and are excited to be with Jesus and have all of this fixed. You know, To be, have an end of sin. There's no more sin after this takes place. I mean, there's no more weeping and crying or sickness or all the things that you came burdened with this morning, it all ends. There's nothing, I mean, it's gravy after this. There's nothing, I, it does make you sick to your stomach, just waiting for that, oh God, come quickly. Maranatha, we used to say. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Yet not so quick as to forget there are lost people out there that need Jesus. You know, We want them to get saved. And so for their sake, 
We'll put up with this and let our hearts be sick. I think that's a better use of the scripture. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. He who despises the word will be destroyed. He who fears the commandment will be rewarded. It's because that's how it works. This is our instruction manual. There isn't another option. This is how it is. And so when I look at the instructions or I see it, I, I had a hard time tracking down why the plugs or the, uh, the outlets in our car weren't working. Jenny's got a 2012 Highlander. I think we reached 275, 275,000 on it. Love that car. You know, we beat it to death, you know. Um, but the outlets have never worked since we bought it. And I, and I looked under the hood and found the fuses that are for that outlet, you know, and, and they're good. And, and they even replaced them because, I don't know, maybe they, maybe they look good, but they're not. And I did that. And, and never checked the book. I never checked the book. Well, I checked the book. And this was just a week and a half ago, two weeks ago before I left. I checked the book because we were going on a trip and we needed these outlets and we had to take her car for whatever reason and not the truck. And, and I checked the book. There's another, there's another circuit box underneath the dash that those relays were connected to. So you're on your back at 53 at the time, now 54, and you're like this and you're looking and I can't see because it's either 18 inches or nothing. And so I can't do that or that or that. So it's just a big black abyss finally just took off the box and took a photo of it so I could zoom it and look at it like that and then try to orient it. So, okay, now which one am I pulling? And I pulled the two fuses and all of a sudden, lo and behold, after how many years we've owned that car, they work. You know, read the instructions, dummy. Now, I don't know that that's the theme of today's message. (laughs) But as a Christian, read the instructions, dummy. Why ain't my life going right? Are you following the instructions? Well, kind of. I checked the first page and the first fuse box. Well, these things are connected. These things all go together. They build upon each other. You don't get to take a truth out and that's it. You've got to take all of it. The entire thing functions this way. Your Christian walk functions under these guidelines only, under these rules only. And so when he says this, it's important. Don't despise the word. It's easy to despise the word. I despise the fact that there was another fuse box that I couldn't contort myself into finding, you know? But if I wanted those outlets to work, I'm going to have to do it. And I did it, and it was right. Don't despise the word of God. It doesn't help you. Arguing with God, you're not going to win. He doesn't change his law or his word for anybody. He doesn't. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. It is a blessing to share the gospel or the good news with people. Um, I'm reluctant sometimes. I think maybe all of us are. Some of you are just really good evangelists and don't have a problem with it. Um, And you would think I wouldn't. But there are times sitting on a plane for four hours that I don't know that I'm interested in opening up that can of worms sometimes. Because the can of worms is either going to produce fruit or it's going to produce a nauseating, irritating four hours of argument, arguments, you know. And so part of me half the time is, uh, you know, just look at the window and just kind of go to sleep and let's just not. And other times, you know, you need to, you need to share, you need to talk. Well, it's always wise. Not to worry about what's in the can, 
open it and find out, you know. Open it and find out. Um, I'm better when I share the gospel with people. Um, they're at least, I don't know if they're better all the time. I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of fruit. I'm not an evangelist. I do my best. I do the work of an evangelist, but I'm not the greatest at it. Um, I'm better, though. I know my doctrine better. I understand my faith better. I work out my own salvation as I share with them. Questions they have that I'm not able to answer now become homework for me, you know, and for all of us. And I get better through it, uh, even though it may be uncomfortable, or even though they may have walked away thinking they won, which is also a hurtful thing to my pride, you know, which, which also needs to happen, you know. Um, but the word still stands. Um, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And when I follow God's word and I share it, it's a blessing. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. I, uh, when I said I learned something in every single teaching, uh, I know the passages they were teaching. I've taught the passages, but there was new understanding that was given by God, not by them necessarily, but I heard things I'd never I'll give you an example of one of them. When, I mean, the theme of the conference and the, and the icon that they used was the burning bush of Moses, his encounter with God. That was his encounter. And I'd never put it together that the burning bush that didn't burn was just an ordinary shrub like all the other shrubs around, but the Shekinah glory of God had rested upon it and in such a way that it illuminated it and caused people to turn aside and to look at it, although it wasn't consumed and it had nothing in and of itself because the Shekinah glory rested upon it or the glory of God rested upon this bush, it spoke, you know. Well, it's us. That's Moses. Moses, this is who you're going to be. Moses started off his, his insurrection at the age of 40 by looking this way and looking that way and killing an Egyptian, thinking, maybe I can get my guys to take up arms. Let's go do this thing. I'm a military commander. I can lead them. Let's do this. And God says, that's not how I want to do it. I want a broken, ordinary shrub that my Shekinah glory can rest upon, and I want you to come in, and they're going to look at you because of the power that I've given, because of me, that the Lord gets the glory for it. I want to come in big. I don't want to be sneaky looking this way and that. I never understood that before. I even saw that picture. It's the same for every one of us in this room. Well, I'm just a shrub. Of course you are. So am I. But when the Shekinah glory, and I, I keep using that word because that's the best way to describe it. That's how the scriptures describe it. When the glory of God or God himself indwells you, you're a born-again believer filled with the Spirit. If those terms help. People turn aside and listen and look at you and your walk with God and your words that you share about God because of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's an amazing thing. And they turn aside to look at the shrub. So as fellow shrubs, you know, the idea. So more understanding. What a blessing it is. And so that's what he's getting at. That understanding that comes. Good understanding gains favor. But the way of the unfaithful is hard. Every prudent man, verse 16, acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. And take the time to look at things and to act according to knowledge. Learn about it as much as you can, you know. I think a lot of our hobby farm, not even a hobby, it's a, it's a working farm. It's just a very small operation that we have, you know. I call myself a rancher of three cows, you know. 
it doesn't make it, it doesn't make the chores any different. You still do exactly the same thing as if you did, you know, more than that. But you, well, we're we're learning, and with knowledge comes a greater understanding. I, I, I used to. Uh, we have to bring our, our milk cows. You, you have to listen because I'm up here. We have to bring our milk cows from this pasture over to the stanchion in the barn, right? And they have, they're, they're halter trained and they're pretty good, but they walk too slow for me. They're just slow and dumb, you know? They're fuzzy and cute and nice, but they're slow and dumb, you know? And so I'm in a hurry and we've got to get going. And so I'm pulling and pulling and they don't respond to that. The more you yank on them, the more they're like, where are we going? And they you know, just put a little more weight behind that pullback. I'm like, we're going to the barn. If you don't hurry up, you're going to get it, you know, whatever that is. I learned that if I talk to them really low and slow, and I walk just at the pace, just like this, I don't have to tug at all. They just look at my back, and they're like, where are we going? You know, and they just follow me. And I look at them and I say, you're doing such a good, you're doing so great. And I just, I love it. And they just follow along, you know, kind of thing. Knowledge. I had to learn that. They're not a dog that you got, come on, come on, we got to go. No, they're not. And they're bigger than you and stronger than you. And they'll take you for a run if you didn't want to go, you know. With knowledge, you're able to do things much better, you know, much better. A wicked messenger falls into trouble but a faithful ambassador brings health. God wants us to be faithful ambassadors. I'll stick to the positive on this one. As a faithful ambassador, I want to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the grace, the mercy that he has for us, the reason he came. There is judgment and there is sin that needs to be reckoned and, and taken care of, and that was at the cross. It's important to know why he came, that he doesn't just want to be our buddy, but he came to set us free from our sin and to set us free from the judgment of our sin, to take it upon himself. That's important. So I want to be a faithful ambassador of that, of that message that he wants. That's the message he wants all of us to carry with us. The world needs to know that. Not that he's just a great way to make your life better, which is often the message that we hear, but no, whether he makes your life better or not, what he's done is he's, he's saving you from an eternal separation from God that you started. That's important for people to know. God's not sending you to hell. He's letting you go where you've decided to go. Satan's going to hell. Satan has rebelled against God. Satan has done this. And you, we, have decided to go after the ways of Satan. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to follow that king. I'm going to follow this king. There are only two kings, and you don't get to be your own king. You're either following Satan or God. Even if you don't say it, that's one of the two options. And so you're just following this, this hell-bound king to hell. You go where you've requested, you know. And to teach people that is so important. To be a faithful ambassador of that is more important. Verse 18, poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. But he who regards a rebuke will be honored. It's important to be able to take correction. I don't take it very well. I get it. I understand why I need it. It just takes me a little bit of time. I don't know that anybody's really good at it. Nobody really likes to be told what they're doing is wrong. I don't think any of us do. Especially as you get older, it gets harder, you know, when you get called out. But if I keep myself in that place of humility, and after my initial pride response has subsided, and I let God do and say what he needs to say through people sometimes, sometimes through his word or by his spirit. I'm better when I listen. 
and I get corrected and not just rebuked. Those are two different things. Corrected. Corrected means I'm going to change course, not just hear the rebuke and continue on my present course, but to hear the rebuke and change course is my correction. It's important to course correct often. Often. I mean, every time I go to these conferences, I get a little more course correction. You don't mean to travel off base or off your line that God's designated for you as a pastor, but you can. Your mind can go places that it's not supposed to go. You're not supposed to allow it to go. I'm not talking about sin. I'm just saying, like there's a call in your life and you you begin to think of, well, let's do this instead or let's do that instead. He said, no, you you don't get to think or entertain those thoughts, you know, kind of thing. And so you get course correction. All of us need that. So let it happen, he's saying. Let that happen. Don't disdain it. Uh, Embrace it. Verse 19, a a desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. I I like it when I have a day. uh, Let's go way back to when I first got saved. I liked it when I had days where I didn't use a four-letter word. Those were exciting days for me. You know, most people don't have a problem with that. I did. I don't know why they became my adjectives, but that's all I knew. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I described everything. Uh, with uh, some reason, I had to attach this, this phrase or this word to whatever I'm describing. And it didn't help, you know, at all. And so I was proud. I felt an accomplice. It was a sweet thing to go to bed at night knowing that I hadn't offended God, at least in that area today. You know, it was a nice thing. Now, was I still saved even if I hadn't had a successful day? Of course. My salvation was secure in Jesus Christ. But sweet to my soul? No, it wasn't sweet when I didn't do well that day. We bless ourselves when we're obedient to God. There is a a sweetness, a peace in our hearts when we go to bed at night when we've done what we're supposed to do. Or we wake up with a song in our heart, you know, for the Lord. It's a blessing. He who walks, verse 20, with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. There is a, a, there are some specific questions as pastors you get and people, probably yourselves and parents also, I suppose you get these same questions, but they repeat over time from other people, different people. And one of them is, should I, uh, I, I just got saved. My friends aren't saved how much time do I spend with them? Do I cut them off completely? Do I engage because Jesus engaged? And there's always that question of how involved am I still to be with these worldly people? And I don't have a standard answer because you do need to be led of the Spirit, but there is a, there is a, the example of Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners was for the purpose of elevating them out of that sin, that sinful life, into a walk in obedience. He never joined them in their sin or reveled in their darkness or, or wickedness. He was always there to be a light to bring them out. If you can do that with your friends and not succumb to their peer pressure and be brought down, by all means, minister. But remember, that's why you're there. You're there to be a light. And sometimes that light is not pleasant on a Friday night when you're the only one not drinking and you're looking at them saying, I, I, you're gonna, this is terrible. You shouldn't be doing this. You, know, you need to move. It's destroying your life and all that. Those aren't fun conversations, but necessary sometimes. So that's my answer. For if you've ever had that question, how much do I participate in the wicked person? As much as you can, 
without succumbing to sin. If you find yourself being tempted, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with uh, reducing the amount of exposure you have to people that seem to, until you're strong, you know? My kids all had a moment when they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, but I didn't send them to China to be inland missionaries at that age. Seven, 10, 13, whatever age it was. They're not able to. They're not equipped. They're born again. They're believers, but they wouldn't have survived it, obviously. Nobody does that. That would seem foolish. It's an obvious thing. Well, um, they need to be built up in their faith. They need to be encouraged. They need to to be able to be stable and solid themselves before they can begin to even think about doing ministry like that. And that's when God calls them to do it, not when I send them to do it. You know, but be careful about that. And so that's the idea. How much should I be a part of a, an unbeliever's life? Well, if they're destroying you, if the fools around you are destroying you, you need to stay away. Get strong. If you're an addict, stay away from the drug dealers. You know? Maybe later on. You can have a drug ministry or, you know, well, not the ministry of giving out drugs. You get, you know what I'm saying? Uh, You know, a ministry of bringing people out of darkness. Absolutely. Absolutely. But maybe not the next day after getting saved and delivered from your addiction. You see, there's time that needs to be. I don't want to be in that position. Um, Verse 21. Evil pursues sinners. It does. Oh, my goodness. But to the righteous, good shall be repaid. I hear that. And, I, and I've experienced that. How come bad things happen to me? How come I'm always getting caught? Why don't they get caught sometimes? Why don't they? Because evil pursues you. It pursues you. You're weak. You're vulnerable. You're open. You've separated yourself from God, your protector, your shield. You've separated yourself from righteous people in your life, your parents even. If they're, if they're righteous, I don't know, not everybody's parents are righteous, but you've separated yourself into a place that it pursues you. You're easy pickings, you know, and it brings you down. Um, but righteous, good shall be repaid. You want to, um, when you walk that way, when you show up, when, you know, half the problem of being a good Christian or at least staying stable as a Christian is being in the right place, you know, just simply being in the right place. I made it a point this year. Some years when I go to these conferences, and I, and I bring myself up because I don't want to throw you under the bus, I'll throw myself under the bus. But there are times when after lunch, there's a session at 1.15, and anybody that's ever been to a conference knows that that's the worst session to be in because you're fat and happy, and you're sleepy, and they talk slow, and they're reading the Bible, and you're just like this. It's really hard. So half the, day, half the time, I'm like... I might just stay in my hotel room and take a little rest. Get ready for that. 3.30. Then I'm really going to listen at 3.30 when that one. I made it a point this year. You show up at, you be at every single teaching, at every single lunch they provide. Don't leave the conference. Don't go off and go to the La Brea Tar Pits or go see the Hollywood sign or do something else that's out there. You're there for a purpose. And if you follow that purpose, I will bless you. And he did absolutely blessed me with fellowship. I met people at the lunches when normally I'd go off to find an In-N-Out burger really quick because you've got to eat it In-N-Out when you're in L.A., you know. And, uh, you know, I stayed there. Um, being here on Sunday mornings, be here. Sometimes I don't feel like going. Go anyway, you know. Uh, Wednesday nights, I don't know, I got stuff going on. I got be here. If, if you find yourself sinning, 
on those times or on those days or weak and vulnerable, then you need to be in the presence of God. You need to be with his people. You know, This week, you're going to have an opportunity. You could be here every single day if you wanted to be. Well, there might not be work for me. Yeah, but is it where you need to be? You know, for your sake, for your walk, for your encouragement, for other people's encouragement. You know, I found half the time out there, everybody wants to tell their story. Nobody wants to listen to the story. So I just listen to people's stories, you know. Hey, where are you? And then they're polite at the end of their story. They give you this 20-minute spiel on their entire ministry from the point they got saved to where they are today, you know. It's like, that's great, man. I just love to hear that. And then they feel bad. They're like, so how about you? Well, similar, similar story. It's been a blessing, you know. You may need to be around, not for your sake, to be fed, but maybe to be an ear here at the church, you know. Maybe to be someone who can be a sounding board, you know, someone that can, people can bounce or pray with people or whatever. It might not be for you to receive. It might be for you to give kind of thing. And it'll bless you. It'll bless you. Uh, verse uh, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. I've heard that used inappropriately many times. Um, it is talking about a spiritual heritage for sure, but he's also talking about a physical one as well. I think that's important. Um, I, I, think par- I think kids should take care of their parents as much as they can, um, even financially if necessary. Not everybody's uh, uh, you know, packed it away or stacked it away and hidden it, but so there's times when kids need to step up and, and uh, be a blessing, and a lot of times because the parents have been pouring out on you their entire lives, you know. Um, it's time to pay back a little bit. That's okay. But as a man of God, I want to be a man who leaves something for my kids. Not, not to be a lot, but I do want to leave something for them, especially a spiritual heritage for sure, but a physical one as well. Um, oftentimes, though, he says here, obviously, the second part of this is the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. You know, So you've got this guy that doesn't have any loved ones when he dies, uh, you know, and, 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 and it gets spread out, but not maybe where he wanted it after he's dead. You know, kind of thing. It goes to the, it goes to the righteous. Verse twenty-three. Much food is uh, in the fallow ground of the poor. <laughs> and for I don't mean to laugh, but isn't that how it works? It's like, yeah, you've got a, you've, you have a garden that you could grow, but you're not. You know, you can stand there all of August and October and stare at that plot, but if you didn't plant anything in the spring, nothing's coming up. This is the idea, but it could have. It could have. For $7 worth of seeds, you could have had hundreds of dollars worth of vegetables if you'd have done it, you know, kind of thing. But you didn't. Um, and that's what he's saying there. Um, much food is in the fallow ground of the poor. And, of course, he, he likens his word to that as well, the seed of God's word. Sometimes it falls upon hard soil and bounces and never gets in. You have never gardened that area of your life. You've never sown to the Spirit in your life. Put God's word in. You put everything else in there. You put, uh, you know, uh, the office. You binge watch that. You put that there. You planted that securely. You did, uh, I don't know what other friends. Um, Trying to think of other things. You, you did that, you know, but you never, and that's what you're going to grow. That's what's going to grow out of your heart. That's what you planted there. Don't be surprised when weeds come up, you know, you planted weeds. But when you plant the word of God, there's a, there's a garden right here just waiting to produce so much fruit for you if you just plant it, if you just plant it, you know. Um, and for lack of justice, there is 
there is waste. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. You, you do. You want to drive the wickedness out of your kids. And some people think this is abuse, and it can be. It can be used wrongly, this scripture. But to stop the behavior is very important for that child, not just for your embarrassment at the moment, but for that child so that that gets driven out of them so that they learn their consequences for their actions so that they don't continue on thinking that it's not going to harm them. And they're surprised when their actions have consequences because the world will use a rod on them. It will. It'll make sure, you know, find out. It's a a dangerous thing. And so he encourages you, watch your children. You don't beat them. You don't hate them. You hate your kid when you don't. You're too lazy. You think you're doing the loving thing, but really you're just trying to find an easy path, you know, gentle parenting. Just going to be a gentle parent. That's fine as long as it works. If it's not working, (laughs) time to not be a gentle parent anymore, you know. It's time to get serious about it. Our God does the same thing. He will speak to us by his Holy Spirit. Hey, hey, don't do that, you know. And if I'm soft enough in my heart, that's enough. I've got kids. Oh, they were such a joy. I'm not going to tell you which ones. <laughs> Some of those kids, you just looked at them. That's all you had to do. They do something, you go, and they burst into tears. I'm like, oh, that was easy. Sweet. Not that I want them to cry, but, oh, you know. And there are other kids who become worship leaders that were a little more <laughs> difficult. <laughs> and they'd look at you. <laughs> I always tell JC, I tell this story on JC. He was just, he was a wonderful boy, but he wonderful boy. And I was a, a new parent, obviously. We didn't, uh, and I beat myself up over it all the time, but probably better ways to do some of the things. But he was, this is an example of some of the, he wasn't really naughty, naughty, but like he put his, he put his hand in the M&Ms, you know, a bowl full of M&Ms. He's way too little to have, you know, he can have four or five M&Ms, but he just, there's a bowl of M&Ms, you know, reached it. I said, no. And he goes, you little poop, you know. There were days like that. He, he needed a little more rod than the other kids, you know. The other kids, you just look at them funny. And, and as a Christian, as a believer, as a child of God, be the one, you know, he doesn't have to get his rod out. He doesn't have to get out whatever. I can just, I can just hear a still small voice and say, oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. You're absolutely right. To, correction received. And that's the end of it with him. He doesn't have to say, well, let's follow through just in case you didn't get it. No, it's just, that could be the end of it if I just turn. Others just need a little more reinforcement of that truth. Verse 23. Oh, I'm going long. I'm sorry. Uh, Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor. I already said that. Let's spread the did that. Oh, one verse left. The righteous eats to the satisfying of the soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. Um, anyway, work hard and God will provide for you. He promises us that. Maybe not from your job, but he will provide for you if you work hard. Always work hard. Now we're going to have communion. I forgot we're having communion. Maybe, yeah, we better do it. Let's do it. It's all set up. I apologize. While they're handing that out, we'll talk about it a little bit. Thank you, Rod. It'll take me back time to get back into the rhythm of things and how long things take. Sorry about that.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, they were having the Passover meal. The next day, he would die on the cross. And he's preparing his disciples for that and using the meal as an example because the meal that they were having was the Passover meal, a, a time where in Egypt, the nation of Israel was given the opportunity to follow God's instructions, to do what God told them to do to be saved. It's a very simple thing. All I want you to do, God said, is I want you to take a lamb and I want you to slaughter it. I want you to eat it, roast it, make sure there's nothing left. But I want you to take the blood that comes from that lamb and I want you to apply it to the doorposts of your house. I want you to do that. And that night, the angel of death is going to come through. And if he sees that blood upon the doorposts of your house, he's going to pass by. If he doesn't see it, he's coming in. And death has found you is the idea. Very simple thing. Well, John, Jesus' cousin, earlier on had said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the idea here is that is the Lamb that we apply the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of our life. And when the angel of death comes, it passes by no matter what you've done. No matter who's on the other side of that door, the angel of death passes by. The idea is whoever's behind that door, no matter what they've done, understands what God has told them to do. Jesus, the blood of the lamb, needs to be applied to the doorposts of my heart. And if I do that, if I follow by faith God's instructions, I'll be saved. So he took that meal that they're having. He took the bread. He said, this is, the, this is my body given for you. Um, take and eat. Um, and, and it'll be broken. You know, he, he broke it in front of them. Take and eat. Uh, as often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. And the next day, his body would be broken. That's the idea. I'm going to sacrifice myself tomorrow. I'm going to let myself go to the cross or to judgment. Instead of you, I'm taking your place. I'm the lamb. And the blood that will be shed tomorrow is for you. It's for the propitiation of your sins. It's a promise. And then he took the, the cup uh, that night, and he lifted it up, and he blessed it. And he said, take and drink. This is the cup of my new covenant. The old covenant was, you've got to bring your own lambs. You bring your own lambs, we kill your lambs, and that'll, that'll put off the judgment. It'll cover over the sins, but it won't take it away. You'll have to pay for it later. But this will at least give you fellowship with God until the judgment day. That's all it ever did. Temporary cover over sins, so you could still have fellowship with God. But all of those lambs were pointing to the lamb that would take away the sin of the world, not temporary cover it up, is the idea. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, not the old covenant, the new covenant. My blood is the only blood that ever needs to be applied to your life. And it'll take care of all of your sins. You can't add your blood to it. You can't add anybody else's blood. It's simply my blood, and it's enough. My sacrifice is it's finished, he says at the cross. So when we eat and drink this this morning, that's what, our, that's what we're remembering here. We're remembering that promise. That whether we had a good week or a bad week on the other side of that door isn't the point. We want to repent of that. We want to walk in obedience and we want to do it. We want to do it because we love God, because he's a good father, because he's given us a way to heaven through his son, Jesus, because we're so grateful for what he's done. And this is just a reminder of our gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. And so this morning, let's, let's pray and we'll, we'll, we'll remember that. Lord, we thank you for your broken body that this bread represents. We thank you that you willingly offered your body in place of ours, God. You willingly took our penalty upon yourself. You became sin for us, God. We thank you for that this morning. This cup that we hold, we thank you for it. This new covenant 
It's not about works anymore. It's not about remembering the lamb or remembering uh, to bring a lamb, but you've done it once for all. At one point in time in history, it was completed and finished. Past, present, and future sins were paid for at the cross. And this morning, we remember that new covenant and we trust in that new covenant. We rest in that this morning. We're so thankful for it because of your love and grace and mercy for us that you demonstrated that love at the cross. We want to now live a life of obedience not to maintain it or to keep that salvation, but because we're so thankful for what you've done for us. So this morning, we honor you and remember you. In Jesus' name, let's eat. Lord, we thank you for this morning, your word. Keep it in our hearts. We pray that it would bear fruit, that it would grow in our garden. Um, and that there would be a wonderful fruit from our, li- from, from our lives for other people, that our families would be blessed, our acquaintances would be blessed, but more importantly, our relationship with you would be blessed, that we'd walk in that path of righteousness. Lord, bless us this week with opportunities to be a blessing, to spend time with you, um, to be in prayer, God, and uh, all the things that uh, build and, and feed into um, our walk with you spiritually, God. Help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.